The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. The show you love, yeah, is a hosted by Chris Jericho. And guess what? The People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. It's a party! 50 episodes of Talk is Jericho. 50, man! Thanks to all you guys for joining me for so many great shows. What a blast I've had. We only started in December. It is now June, end of June, close to the end of June. And we've got 50 bad boys in the can already if you're just getting hip to Talk is Jericho. Go to podcast1.com and check out all the past episodes of Talk is Jericho. This one, number 50, I wanted to do something special, so I saved it for you. We, we, we recorded this back in April on the night of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Myself and Edge, who is my special co-host, interviewing Paul Heyman. It was so big. I wanted to save it for number 50. The three of us got together uh, at a hotel room in New York City at the Hilton Times Square in New York City. Like I said, Adam and myself and my wise cousin Chad were in town for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I had arranged to interview Paul Heyman a few weeks prior, and I thought what better way to uh, to get Paul on the show and to, and to interview him than have Edge as my special co-host. So uh, it was a, a really, really cool moment and a really, really cool show. So good that I split it up into two parts. And it's amazing because I don't know if Paul and Edge and myself ever had a conversation. I'm sure we had because we worked together 
uh, for so many years. And Paul used to book SmackDown, where Edge and I were a big part of that about 10 years ago. But when you get together with old friends, yes, we were interviewing Paul Heyman, but then it becomes kind of a three-way dance, so to speak, a verbal three-way dance when we're all sharing experiences and uh, memories of all the things that we had been through, all the things that we've done. One of my favorite episodes, and perfect for episode 50 of Talk is Jericho. Where do I even start? I mean... um, you know, even with the cowbell, the, it started, the cowbell started because I started recording in a studio in Tampa. Bubba the Love Sponge is the guy who uh, runs the studio. Much thanks to Bubba for letting me record there. Happened to have a cowbell on the desk with a, a drumstick by it. And I just decided I was going to do the opening for working for the weekend, which, of course, is Loverboy's big hit. And every time you hear that cowbell with the snare drum happening, you know the party's about to begin. You heard it already, but it's... You know, you hear that one, two, three snare drum hit. You just know it's a good time and a party shall begin. So that's kind of where the whole cowbell thing started. Now everyone expects the cowbell. It's become a big part of Talk is Jericho. And so many other things, too. I mean, when I started the podcast, you know, I wanted to do wrestling guests. Obviously, it's what I know, uh, as well as music guests. But I also didn't want to have any rules on who I wanted to have on the show. I've had actors, musicians, wrestlers, ghost hunters, uh, reality show stars, uh, DJs, just everybody in between, hockey players. And I I love the diversity of Talk is Jericho. I know sometimes I get some heat from fans that want to hear nothing but, let's say, wrestling guests or they want to hear nothing but musical guests. But you're going to hear it all. To me, this is like a talk show. It's like The Tonight Show. Uh, I'm your host. If I have somebody on my show, you have to trust me that you're going to like them. And obviously, people have their favorites. But some of these episodes have done amazing, amazing ratings uh, that are kind of outside the box, which is really cool. And you're going to get so many more uh, amazing, versatile guests. I've got, I think, 20 shows in the can, and i got a lot of ideas upcoming of people that I'm going to have on the show. Uh, it's just I've just been really enjoying it. Once again, I know there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of podcasts to listen to. And you guys have been super, super rad by coming to listen to my show. Uh, what were your favorite episodes of Talk is Jericho? Hit me up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho. And let me know who uh, came on the show that you really dug that were one of your favorites. I mean, if I had to go through the list, um, I'm just kind of pulled them all up now. I mean, all of the shows I enjoyed in different ways or another. I mean... Uh, obviously Steve Austin, the very first guest I ever had. And the guy who basically gave me the idea to do this show hooked me up with, with podcast one and said, you know, man, you'd be perfect at doing this. You got to get into it. Worst Steve Austin invitation ever. But Steve not only helped me get a show, uh, kind of uh, took me under his wing for a little while and helped me uh, organize things. And then it was my first guest and couldn't have been easier as a guest or better as a guest, but it was funny because when I called him, he was just in a real sour mood. He's like, yep. I'm like, Hey man, you ready to do this? Yep. Are you okay? Yep. All right. And then I'm like, Hey Steve, Hey Chris, well, congratulations on having your podcast. And you know, it was a really cool first guest and I'm sure I'm a million times better as a host than I was then. At least I hope so. And much thanks to Steve, much credit to Steve. If you haven't heard his podcast or if you haven't listened, he's got two every week as well. Great, great shows. The Steve Austin show and Steve Austin unleashed. Um, so I can't thank him enough for being just a tremendous guest and kind of a mentor. 
uh, I think another great guest that I had, Ted Irvin, my dad, that was one of the reasons that I, I had the podcast. He was one of the first ideas that I had for a guest. And actually before I had him on, uh, I guess about a month and a half before he actually had a heart attack, a mild heart attack a few days before my show. And he was like, Oh, I can't do your show. And I was like, listen, if you wanted to cancel uh, uh, being a guest on my show, you could have just told me you didn't have to go have a heart attack to do so. Um, so, you know, I was really glad to get him on the show, not just once, but twice now. And I'm going to have him on again because it's something I'll always be able to cherish. Uh, even long after he's gone or long after I'm gone, uh, th- that show will be up and running and my kids will be able to listen to it and their grandkids will be able to listen to it. I think it's a pretty cool thing to be able to say you did. Another reason why I love having Ash on my son, Ash the fish expert. And that all started once again one day when we were looking at a picture of the Loch Ness Monster, uh, some kind of a sonar that was taken where it was supposed to be the Loch Ness Monster. And he said, you know, don't get your hopes up, dad. It's a sturgeon. And I was like, why? And he started giving me all these reasons. And I said, stop, come with me. Took him into the studio here and, and cranked it up. And he, uh, we had him on a couple times. And we'll have him on again. Chavo Guerrero, my first in-studio guest. And one of my favorite guests, not just for wrestling stories, but obviously the the, the, the tight-knit family that we had with, with Chavo and myself, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Benoit. Eddie and Chris no longer with us. Chavo you know, basically spent the last few hours of both those guys' lives, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, last few days at least. And it was very emotional to have Chavo on. Uh, and, you know, another cool thing I love about this show is it gives me a chance to reconnect with some of my long-lost friends. I hadn't seen Chavo in years and realized, like, why have we not been talking? Why have we not been hanging out? We've been through too much together. Great, great guest and uh, one of my favorite episodes, actually two of my favorite episodes. If you haven't heard the Chavo Guerrero ones, whether you're a wrestling fan or not, go check it out. Eli Roth was a great guest. He showed up still in his tuxedo from the Oscars the night before. He was late because he got uh, drunk and passed out uh, after Madonna's Oscar party. <laughs> and then told some great stories about all of his uh, experiences as an actor, as a director, uh, being up in the Amazon jungle, re- uh, filming his new movie, The Green Inferno. Once again, haven't heard Eli, go check it out. Uh, Bully Ray, really enjoyed him. Another uh, perfect example of a guy I hadn't seen in a while that we reconnected doing the podcast. Both those shows were excellent because the best guests, I mean, I think are your friends when you have things to talk about and things to go back on. You know, Chava was like that Eli bully, uh, Steve, obviously my dad, uh, William Shatner though, who I'd never met. I met him briefly at a comic con that I did at the comic con with the sole purpose of trying to get Shatner uh, nailed down for an interview. If I had to pick one that was my absolute favorite, favorite episode, it could be the William Shatner show because you know, had a lot of huge guests in music and in wrestling, but as far as a, a pure A-list worldwide celebrity that everyone knows his name, uh, he doesn't get much bigger than William Shatner. And the stories he told and just his demeanor, very funny, uh, just a great guy, showed up by himself, no handlers, no PR person, you know, no uh, entourage. And I just, man, I mean, when I'm 83... I'm going to be doing people's podcasts and showing up on my own, whether they want me to or not. I'm just going to show up there. Daniel Bryan, another great guest. I had him on right before he had his, his neck injury, basically like literally a week beforehand. And I had no intentions of having him on for two shows because I know, you know, WWE superstars are busy. He was the world champion at the time before he was stripped. And um, we talked for like 80 minutes. It got to about the 40 minute point And I realized that, we were still rolling and, and he had no indication that he wanted to stop and we ended up doing about 80 minutes together, which is perfect for two shows. So Daniel Bryan, once again, 
excellent guest, and I'm sure when he comes back from his injury, he's going to be bigger and better than ever. If you don't believe that, you're wrong. If you do believe it, the answer is yes, yes, yes. Bruce Kulik from KISS. I've known Bruce for a while, but when he came in there, man, he told so many great stories about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, about KISS. You know, KISS such such a huge uh, entity, a huge band for so many years, and Bruce told amazing, amazing stories that even I, as a huge KISS fanatic, had never heard. And even if you aren't a huge KISS fan, just about show business and the way things are done at such a huge level. Bruce, like I said, standout guest for me. And actually, uh, Drew McIntyre from last week, I I think he did a tremendous job. And he was a guy that a lot of people probably, you know, they wouldn't have maybe listened to his show or thought, oh, why would you have him on? There's so many other people that I wanted to have on. But but when he was released by the WWE, he was the, you know, I I said, I have to have him on my show now because I know how intelligent he is. I know how smart he is. And talk about uh, an emotional interview, a tell it like it is, no BS interview. Uh, couldn't have done a better job. And, and it was, I think, a great platform to Drew to kind of let people know that he's coming, he's out there, and he's coming for you. And I think he's going to be a big guy to look forward to in the future. So those are just some of my favorite guests in going through the list. All of my shows have been favor- uh, favorites. I've enjoyed them all. All the guests I've had on because I wanted to have them on because I thought they were interesting people. Most polarizing guest, Snooki, who was great on my show, told amazing stories about WrestleMania. And I loved Jersey Shore, too. I was, uh, it was a favorite show of mine. A lot of people are like, why would you have Snooki on the show? And why would you do that? It's like, I do it because it's my show. And don't ever second guess yourself or question yourself this is my show i choose who i want to have on the show you choose whether you want to listen or not uh my fans who get it know that every show i do is good you know there might be some guests you like better than others but i don't have uninteresting people on and i don't have people on that i don't think i can have good interviews with and while some shows and guests have been better than others Every single person that's been on this show has been because I've chosen them. Uh, every every voice, every uh, you know, from Egypt to uh, Pinche Ghost, uh, Gordy Canuck, uh, Oates' mustache, all these uh, great guests that I've had on, and will continue to have on once again because it's funny for me, and I hope you guys find it the same way. So thank you so much for listening for the last fifty episodes. Here's to five thousand more. I have no intention of stopping. I love doing this for you for free for twice a week. Go check out my amazing sponsors uh, if you haven't. It's one of the reasons why we get to do this for free. And uh, thanks for everybody who's come to see Fozzie for the last few uh, months. Huge, huge show in, in in El Paso last week, which was first time we ever played there. Gosh, there must have been nine, ten thousand people in the middle of the street to see us. Amazing reactions. Uh, and a big show coming up at the Whiskey A Go Go, July twenty fourth in Hollywood. The famous Whiskey A Go Go we played there a few years ago. Uh, come check us out if you live in the in the Southern California area. It's the record release party. Do you want to start a war? It comes out July 22nd. You can pre-order it on Amazon. If you haven't heard Lights Go Out or One Crazy Anarchist, then you haven't been listening to this podcast because I've been shamelessly been playing them. <laughs> I will continue to do so because, once again, it's my show. Actually, it's our show, and thanks to all of you for being a part of it, and I look forward to a long, long relationship for a long time to come. All right, before we get into things with Paul Heyman and Edge, Paul Heyman, Edge, and Chris Jericho. What a, what a, what a Trey's amigos that is. Trey's gusanos is more like it. Three worms. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. All right, here we are in the Hilton uh, Times Square, and I got to give them props because they let us stay in this room till four. And I've got a, a star-studded panel with Paul Heyman is here, uh, a, a, a great friend for many years, and Edge, one of the best guests I've had so far. I was just strolling through Times Square. Yeah. I was turning tricks. Thought I'd show nice. up. Nice. And, and, and actually, and I was the trick. Yeah, I, was, I was the trick. I was the customer. I was the John. <laughs> but yeah, man. I mean, we we wanted to work this out because we're here in New York City. Uh, Edge came to, to see us, and I thought, man, if I can get Paul Heyman, like this would be the best day ever. And you came all the way across city the city to do this for me. I really appreciate that, man. Well, the pleasure is all mine. It's good to see you. I mean, what what a lot of, of crazy stuff has been going on over the last few weeks. Might as well like the biggest one of all was was WrestleMania and the fact that the streak was broken. By your protege, Brock Lesnar. And uh, I mean, it kind of shocked everybody. I think fans are still, like, people are crying. Like, I got a lot of feedback of people who are like, this shouldn't have happened and I can't believe it happened. And I mean, what was the, I mean, how did it feel for you to be out there in pure silence in front of 70,000 people? It's the old story of Bruno San Martino being pinned in Madison Square Garden by Ivan Koloff that you could hear a pin drop when it happened because everybody was in such shock. Right. Um, Brock actually wondered if he if he had lost his hearing, which is the same story that San Martino tells. That you know, if you hear, you know, oh, let me tell you, when I lost the title to Koloff, I I thought I'd gone deaf for a moment, you know. And uh, I don't know why San Martino sounds Jewish when I imitate him, but <laughs> yeah, uh, right. But you know, <laughs> you know, listen, he's converted, yeah. Rabbi Bruno San Martino Berg. You know, when I lost my hearing in the in the Madison Square Garden. Oi, vage man, let me tell you the. Um, so, but but Brock, when I got to Brock, he was like, "What's going on?" And I said, "They're in shock," and he says, "I'm in." shot too and uh it was the reaction that in hindsight you would expect but looking at it in advance you really can't determine how that audience would react because it is such a shocking moment because you're so preconditioned to one two oh mm-hmm. oh he was so close he was he was an eighth of a second away from the streak ending and you know it, it's the old it's the old thing of uh, anything can happen in WWE mm-hmm. and always expect the unexpected. But in that match, that is the one constant. The one constant in WWE, the one constant in WrestleMania is you're not going to get surprised in the Undertaker's match. And you're going to believe during the match that maybe this is, here's the pinfall, but deep in your heart, mm-hmm. you're just along for the ride. And you just the audience is just playing the role because their their role is to go one two oh it was so close mm-hmm. they they never truly believed that streak was going to end yeah i i found that with the build up of the match it like it wasn't like it wasn't super like oh my god there's jeopardy it, it just seemed like business as usual and like you said it was going to be number 22 and the streak would end and i don't think or the streak would, would continue i don't think anybody expected that and i remember uh, in '88, when Hogan lost the title with the, the to Andre the Giant with the famous double referees, 
And when that happened, like no one could believe it. Like Hogan was the champion for four years. You can't have this end, but it did. And that's one thing I thought was real. I think I was really shocked at first, but it was a real genius decision from, you know, whether Taker made it. I'm sure, I mean, just, Taker had something to do with it, but Vince's decision because nobody expected it. And it really, it heated up Brock huge. Huge. Uh, it, it was. He, it was a victory that Brock truly needed, too, because it once again now separates him from everybody else. He's, again, the outsider. He's, again, the UFC guy. He's, again, the guy that doesn't truly belong. Um, I can sit there on television and quote his credentials, the NCAA Division One heavyweight champion, the UFC heavyweight champion, the WWE heavyweight champion. No man's ever held two of the three, let alone all three. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's all hype and hyperbole. Unless you give them backup and credence to what I'm saying. So when he's the one guy in 20 some odd years that has beaten Undertaker at WrestleMania. And again, you know, it's all the stuff that I was saying before WrestleMania. I mean, take a look at now you're undefeated at WrestleMania, too, aren't you? I was until Taker. Until Taker. Right. But you went went 11, right? I think it was Seven. Okay, so I mean, yeah, we're sitting with the guy, and we'll get into this. You actually were one of the victims of the streak, and also one of the the earliest matches that was a real show stealer because there was a string that Taker had of about six manias in a row, five or six, where they were show stealing matches, and you were, I think, I think you mentioned Batista, but maybe yours was the first that really stole the show. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, but you, you look at. <laughs> You look at Shawn Michaels, who's Mr. WrestleMania, he, he never got past two in a row. Mm-hmm. Triple H, he never got past three in a row. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, is as big a star as, as I've ever experienced in this generation especially, he never got the five. John Cena never mm-hmm. got, you know, and certainly, I mean, the, the, longest, the longest run on top I've ever seen, including San Martino, has been John Cena. Mm-hmm. The longest consecutive run, uh, it, it, it's an amazing run for I, Cena. I've done, I think I was in 12 WrestleManias and won like three of them, so I have a really bad record. That's so, not great. Not, <laughs> and yet, here's Taker, and and w- whatever anybody wants to say about sports entertainment and 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 how the the winners and the losers occur, it's still 21 consecutive victories at, a, at WrestleMania. Uh, you know, it, it's even the behind the scenes aspect of that is an amazing number. So when Brock is the one to beat that streak. And you then you take into consideration, well, he was the NCAA Division I heavyweight champion. He was the UFC heavyweight champion. He was the youngest WWE champion at, mm-hmm. at that time. Now, all of a sudden, it all comes together. And, you know, and, and of course, you have the physical appearance of Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. So I think it has not only revitalized the mystique of Brock Lesnar, it has turned Brock back into a mega mm-hmm. attraction that was a mystique, I think, had been taken away Absolutely. from him. Absolutely, that's what I was going to talk about because armchair quarterback, he shouldn't have lost to Cena. He shouldn't mm-hmm. have lost to Hunter. Mm-hmm. He should have destroyed everyone. And that's part of the problem nowadays is there's no plan going forward. There's no... If you have a two-year plan and you know this is going to happen, great. You can book accordingly, but it just... It, yeah. It's so spur of the moment now, and I think that's... you know, So it had great impact, but oh, imagine the impact it could have had if he 
went through all of those guys. Yeah, because right, he, he, he was kind of, uh, he, I'm not going to say he was cold, but he was almost taken for granted. For, the mystique of Brock Lesnar, like you said, had almost been taken for granted. And that's why I think most people just expected that Taker was going to win, and that was the end of it. And we move on to next year, and Roman Reigns will get his shot, or Bray Wyatt, or some new guy. To me, when you really think about it, Brock is the only guy that should have beaten that streak. Well, he's a part-time guy. He doesn't love wrestling. That's what fans are saying. But if you're looking from a guy with the street cred, the size, everything. The mouthpiece? The mouthpiece. Well, no, seriously. You. I mean, obviously. Well, well, well thank you. A, a guy, you know, and they, okay, let's say Roman Reigns could have, would have won, for example. That's a wrestling win. People know it's not real. Brock is a guy that legitimately could beat Undertaker on a street fight, in a street fight, you know, and has the right guy to emphasize that. So I think that when you look at it, Brock was the only guy that was believable in ending the streak and the best guy that you can use. And like you said, is shot up to being the top heel in the company now. Yes. Well, I concur. And, well, and, and the mainstream press that yes. you can get from that. Yeah, and, he know, got, that. and we got a bunch of it. I mean, it was, it, it, it was, it was a significant headline. Uh, you know, and not only here in the United States, it was a significant headline on a global basis. And and again, not just in people that were covering WrestleMania, but then the MMA boards got a hold of it, and the MMA websites, and the sports media got a hold of it. It, it became a legitimate mainstream news story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it did. And because of, now let me ask you a question, Edge. Or I'm probably going to call you Adam anyway. So. Um, what was it? Tell us about like the pressure or the like when you're in WrestleMania against Taker working for the streak. Did it seem like I mean, that will always seem like the main event of the show every year, no matter what, where you were on the card or who else was on the card. Was there a lot of pressure on you uh, to know that you're taking on Taker in a, you know, a match for the streak? I, I, there is because I, I always assumed and I think rightfully so that it's the most important match on the show. You know, whether it's the WWE Championship, the World Championship, it, it doesn't matter. The streak to me was the one that just had the most involved with it. We had the World Heavyweight Championship involved that year, so that added an even extra element to it. And that was the year with Sean and, and Rick. Mm-hmm. So I purposely didn't watch their match because I knew what it was going to be. And I was like, okay, I can't, I, I don't want that to color anything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. I want to go into this. This is our own thing. You know, that it's its own thing. Um, but I felt really good about it. I, I like pressure and, and, um, we'd only wrestled one singles match before that, but we knew we were in the same pocket and, uh, I just, you know, tried to do that, that whole chess match thing of countering everything he has to try and get people to believe that, Hey, this could end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that I think is the biggest challenge mm-hmm. is actually having the people believe that and not just go along for the ride and play their part and, um, so, but, but it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it, I got introduced second, but just to come down that aisle and see him in that corner, it's just, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, we are in this, like, this is happening. It, 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 it carries more historical significance than any other match on the card because Daniel Bryan will win and lose the WWE title. Mm. How many times in his career? And I mean, deservedly so as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everybody else that's on the show is going to look for that WrestleMania moment, look for the moment that lives on the video clips for the next 25, 50, 100 years. But had Taker defended the streak, it still would have had huge historical significance because when you look back, you have to go through who were involved in the 22 and 0. Mm-hmm. 
Taker losing to the streak, Taker losing the streak to Brock Lesnar, defeating the Undertaker at WrestleMania, that's that's Hogan slamming Andre and dropping the leg for the one two three. It, you know, again, a lot of what I said before the before the the actual match was so real oriented, so shoot based. Um, you know, and I, I said it. I, I didn't think Taker losing would affect the significance of those first twenty one victories, mm-hmm. and it would be the most famous match. It would be the most famous moment in WrestleMania mm-hmm. since Hogan and Andre. It's something that can only happen once. Certainly in our generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone were to start today, they yeah. we got twenty some odd years <laughs> before they're gonna yeah. you know get to that stage where it's it's it's, it's twenty one. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and and who today is of the age that they could start that Bray Wyatt just lost, mm-hmm. so he's not going to go undefeated at WrestleMania. That's right. You Maybe know? Reigns, like you know, or someone that we haven't seen yet. Uh, did the, the Shield, Shield one? Or the Shield one? But did, does that count? Were all of Taker's matches single matches? Mm, I think there was a handicap match. Yeah, right? maybe one yeah. handicap match, right? But I mean, so, so basically, you say someone would have to start next year and go for twenty-one years. 21 I mean, we years. might not even be here when that happened, you right? Know? Right. So I mean, you'd have to find a twenty-five-year-old to start. Yeah, and then the intangibles, injuries. You know, can they adapt? Will they adapt? You know, all of those things. Yeah, exactly. That, that Taker did do, which adds so much to what the streak was. Now, now, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the rumor is that Taker had a concussion during the match. Is that true? Did he really? Did he get his bell rung during the during the I'm match? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, he collapsed five seconds after walking through. You know, the, mm-hmm. he, and Vince he, went with him to the hospital. Yes. Oh, that was when I said that on television. That was a hundred. That, that's a hundred percent wow. a true story. And think about that: the, the respect that Vince has for the Undertaker to leave the main event of his biggest show of the year on the thirtieth anniversary. To go to the uh, to the you know hospital with Taker. Wow. Taker came through the curtain. He didn't get to the second curtain, which was through Gorilla, and he collapsed. Um, and, and Vince got the word Taker's down, and Vince left the headsets and went to Taker, and he was not going to leave Taker's side. Mm-hmm. It was just Taker had no idea where he was. Wow. Uh, he was really really. Do you think that uh, Undertaker is Vince McMahon's greatest creation as far as gimmick wise? It would have to be. Like, to me, I can't think of it. Maybe Hulk Hogan, if you're considering Hulk Hogan as a gimmick, but Hulk was Hulk before he got into the WWE. Taker became Undertaker when he started with, I can't think of a... Of a... I, I think as a pure, you know, it, it happened in the WWF. Yeah, yeah he's got to be. It cert- I mean, the character certainly had the most longevity mm-hmm. and certainly had the most longevity on top. And he's been on top since the day he started, which was Survivor Series 1990. I mean, he started 24 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, again, injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, he's never been just a middle-of-the-road act. Mm-hmm. He's been a very carefully produced, very carefully presented, very carefully marketed performer for 24 years. I don't know who else has had that run. Hogan didn't have that run. No, and Hogan was created, you know, obviously was, was you know, uh, streamlined by Vince, but he was working as Hulk Hogan for, for Vern and Correct. for Vince's dad, you know, Correct. early on. But another thing I wanted to, to talk about was just how tough Taker is, you know, to be able to work a whole match with a concussion. The reason why I say this is, like, we all have a real connection with Taker. You worked with him at the streak, had a great program with him. You just were in the ring when he lost the streak and I, the last world title taker ever held and the last world title I ever held, I beat taker for it in the elimination chamber. 
and as he was coming down to the ring for that match, the pyro went off in his face three times. I don't know what happened, but he got literally burned. His coat, his leather coat, was like uh, looked like if you light styrofoam on fire. It was all crumpled up and weird, misshapen. The only thing that saved him was his hat protected his face, his hair protected him, but his whole chest, you know, he wears that singlet, was beet red. And it was white underneath. Now, he gets burned. He comes out on stage, and I was right there from my pod, and I could see a bird's eye view. He's walking down to the ring. Fire goes up, burns him. He goes to his left. Fire comes up, burns him. He goes to his right, and it burns him three times. And he runs to the, to the pod and stands in the pod for 20 minutes, pouring water on himself as his flesh is burned. He had third-degree burns or second-degree burns, whatever the worst one is. Maybe even first in some places. And then wrestles a match. I know what my advice would have been from ringside. What's that? Chop him. <laughs> I'm a heel. You know, it's funny. I put him in the walls of Jericho, and he stayed in it for a while, and he said that hurt him the most because his chest is pressed to the mat, pushing off. But I, after the match, I go backstage, and Vince and Taker are already in the trainer's room. And I remember Taker, you know, super calm. He's the Fonz, man. He's the coolest <laughs> guy in the dressing room. He goes, I came in, and he's like, Vince... I don't want an apology. I don't want an excuse. I'm just telling you, I don't ever want to see that guy again because if I do, I'm going to kill him. And you know I'm telling the truth. And Vince is like, yes, I do. And I'm not going to say the guy's name, but the pyro guy was never is seen Is he dead? Again. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's never been seen again, but somewhere in a swamp in Texas, there is, there's a pyro guy with a lot of bullet holes in him. <laughs> but apparently I heard he works for Iron Maiden now. I'm like, Steve, you better watch Ooh, out, dude. Look out, oh, you just named him. <laughs> no, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Oh. Yeah, don't go stand too close to the pyro. Steve Harris from Iron Maiden was doing pyro for WWE? <laughs> and he's never been seen? <laughs> What's Bruce Dickinson going to say about this? Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. We're here at uh, Hilton Times Square in New York City. Chad Nathan, front office manager, great guy, let us keep this room for uh, a couple extra hours. We're talking to Paul Heyman. We've got Edge here as my co-host today. Yeah, Chad. Doing a great job. We've got wise cousin Chad taking notes in the corner. Very smart. He's an engineer. He knows about oil and stuff. <laughs> but let's talk about, uh, Paul, I mean, you know, we've talked about the streak, and it's obviously a hot topic, but, but a big part of that is the work that you've done to get Brock Lesnar over and to be the mouthpiece. You did it for, for Punk as well, and we can talk about Punk in a bit, but how has this been since your return to the WWE, which has only been maybe two years two now? Two years, yeah, back two years. What, what brought you back into the business, and how are you enjoying it since you've returned? It's real easy for me now because I'm not on the writing team. Mm-hmm. And so I have none of that um, Icarus flying too close to the sun relationship. <laughs> good, with good, good maiden reference since we were just talking about Iron Maiden. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that, that was always the story of my relationship with Vince. It was always, you know, I, I was flying too <laughs> close flying to the sun. the sun. <laughs> and then, boom, my wings would melt, you know. So um, now the only thing I really, you know, get into discussions about it are, are the, are the, uh, are the segments that I'm involved in. So mm-hmm. it makes it it, it, it it makes my job much, much easier because I can concentrate on what I'm doing. I could spend a whole week obsessing about what we're going to do on Monday. Mm-hmm. So by the time I get there, 
he knows that I've spent a whole week thinking about this. So what I'm bringing to the table are um, suggestions that it doesn't matter about the rest of the show. Okay, here you go. I understand what you're trying to sell here. Let me help you sell mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And because we're not around each other so many days a week, eh, he's probably happy to see me on a Monday because it's only on a Monday. <laughs> um, I came back simply. It was a very funny thing, and, and I don't say this disparagingly about Brock because they put a microphone in Brock's hands and he threatened never to mm-hmm. let them live. He had the down. Mike Tyson syndrome. He's a very quiet voice, not very tough sounding. He doesn't want to talk. He yeah. doesn't like to do it. He hates people. He, he, but he does hate people. <laughs> I know. I, I traveled with him. He does. Yeah, I know. But but it adds so much more, him just standing, standing there looking like you know, a people. Caucasian Incredible Hulk <laughs> and, and without the purple pants. Yeah. And you talk. It just it adds that aura of mystique. Mm-hmm. And we have a great, I mean, we have a great personal relationship as well. Because, I mean, why, why else wouldn't, I mean, really, seriously, why wouldn't a Midwest Aryan like Brock Lesnar get along with a smart-ass <laughs> New York Jew boy like me? You know, we're a perfect match. And one little, one little uh, if I could just one say one thing, Brock actually moved to Saskatchewan. Yeah. No one has ever done Nobody that. Nobody moves there. People can't. We, why is Cousin Chad sitting in the corner from Yorkton, Saskatchewan? <laughs> Would you ever move to Yorkton? You couldn't wait to get out of there. They didn't. So, so Brock actually lives. He moved to a farm in Saskatchewan to get away from people. No one in the world has ever moved to Saskatchewan. Yeah, he, and we love know, our fans. In you know, Saskatchewan, he, ha- he has this place in northern Minnesota. You know, yeah. that, that that's like you know the Les- it's off two dirt roads, and it's like the Lesnar family compound, and that wasn't private enough for him. So he also found this farm. Uh, again, another town you're familiar with, not too far outside of Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So he's up in Winnipeg. He's a huge farm. He's totally isolated in kind this. Of in Brandon, I think it is. Or something I, I, like I that. think yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Wow. And he has a, well, I mean, he, he doesn't have any cell service. Mm-hmm. And he has a landline that is literally a mile and a half down the driveway from his house. We have a you know, and when you're a mile and a half on the same driveway, imagine the size of the spread. So, he, so literally, he says, "Well, okay, call me at exactly one o'clock Manitoba time because I'll go to the, I'll drive to the phone to take your call." Okay, so it's like two cans and a string. Yeah, that's right, right. So this wasn't private enough for Brock because, yeah, you know, there were people living within 15 minutes of me. So he, so he moved to Saskatchewan because it's a little more isolated, I guess. And I guess just, you know, he wanted some sort of summer weather or Antarctica was probably where he was looking for his next real estate purchase. You know, but that's Brock. Right. He doesn't like people. So they put the microphone in his hand. You know, it's not working. Right, right. He, he went back and, you know, when he went back, he calls me up and he says, listen, I'm, I'm telling you straight up. I'm cutting a deal with these guys. You want to be part of it? And and I, I, I was I had already been out almost five and a half years and I, I really had no desire to go back. I I had my fill. I had started doing a lot of uh, viral stuff involving the video games and UFC and I have my, my own agency here in New York City and I got spoiled. I was home with my kids every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really enjoyed that time at home. So I said, you know, Brock, I'm going to take a pass on this one. You know, I just uh, I just don't feel it. I, I, I'm not, they're not going to want me. I'm not going to want them. We're not going to get along. Mm-hmm. So Brock goes back and then he does that 18-minute segment with John Laurinaitis on the microphone. 
Mm. And oh, yeah, because um, he was originally Laurinaitis was his mouthpiece, right? Right. right. And Brock comes back into Gorilla. <laughs> Sorry, I, I have to laugh at that. There's nothing wrong with John Laurinaitis being somebody's mouthpiece. I don't know why you're laughing. I always thought we were tight edge. I've been an ally of yours. <laughs> that got a belly laugh. <laughs> Giddy edge. Giddy edge. Edge is tired today. Yeah. So, um, if you watch. The tape, Brock goes back to Gorilla with the microphone in his hand because he, he was so mad he didn't put it down. And he goes back into Gorilla, and as legend would have it, and I've heard this from both parties, Vince says, that wasn't exactly what we were looking for. <laughs> and, and Brock puts the mic down and right in front of Vince and says, I don't think you should ever put a microphone in, in my hand again. And Vince says, well, what the hell are we going to do? And Brock says, call Heyman. That's what he does. He's my Jew. <laughs> and, and walks out of Gorilla. So um, within that week, I, I had agreed to go and do a voiceover. I used to do, I did the punk DVD. I did the Austin DVD first. Mm-hmm. And then I did the punk DVD. And then I was doing a, a voiceover for the commercial for ECW unreleased matches. Mm-hmm. And I had fallen into this pattern of doing these favors, these one-offs, as long as I could tape them in the studio on Monday or Tuesday because no one's ever around. You wouldn't have to see Vince. You wouldn't have to see anybody. Hey, I had heat with everybody. It wasn't, it wasn't just Vince. I couldn't imagine anybody would be happy to see me walking in the doors. So as long as I could go on a Monday or Tuesday, I'm in, I'm out, I'm stealth. Right. I get the check in the mail. I'm a happy camper. Yeah. So um, they call me, and well, Brock buzzes me. He says, uh, "He says, hey, listen, just so you know, I mentioned your name to Vince." And I was like, "Okay." After seeing that promo, I kind of understand why. And I still wasn't really interested. But they, I was supposed to go the next day to do the voiceover. Were you still watching the product at the time? 100. percent Okay. How could I not? Right. Of course. Right. And it's, it's not only just because he was on, I never stopped watching it. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed it more once I was gone than when I was embedded in it because I'd become so tired of it mm-hmm. and so burned out. It became such a personal fight between me and Vince. I, I, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. So um, once I was gone, I could enjoy it again. And uh, it became a real hot-button issue. Once CM Punk did the whole Paul Heyman guy shtick, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with that with that the pipe famous bomb pipe bomb promo. Right. W- once he did that, it, I, I became relevant in that world again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, it became, you know, listen, it, anybody can walk down the street. If you were on TV in the 1970s, someone's bound to recognize you. Hey, man, I remember you on TV, you know. But but I wasn't relevant anymore. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I was an old guy. I was, I, yeah, I, you, yeah. I, I remember you. Right, you weren't current. Absolutely not. And then CM Punk does the Paul Heyman guy routine. And all of a sudden, I'm relevant again. You know, when are you coming back? Mm-hmm. Hey, come on. Uh, they're, they're, that leads to something. Hey, you're, you're Paul Heyman, and he's a Paul Heyman guy. Uh, so I, I became a relevant topic again. Um, and in an age of social media, it's just something that never died. So they called me on Tuesday morning and said, we're having production problems. Could you tape this, uh, this voiceover on Thursday? Now, you guys know this as well as I do. They don't have production problems. <laughs> There's no such thing as a production problem in that studio. Now, they did have a production problem. Everyone would get fired. Everything would be thrown out. And, and, and they would airlift a new studio over to the studio. And they would be ready for you that afternoon. 
These guys are on top of their game, mm-hmm. state of the art. Mm-hmm. So I knew right there something was up. And, this, and lo and behold, once I got there, there was a message, hey, could you come by the tower and take the service entrance so nobody sees you? You know, and the pitch was. And you're going to meet with Vince. No, I didn't see Vince, so I walked into Gorilla the night I returned. So who did you see? Triple H. Okay. I saw Triple H. And the pitch was? And the pitch was, you know, WrestleMania is in New Jersey next year. It's right across the bridge from your house. Not that I'm suggesting that you walk or that you, uh, <laughs> or that, you know, that you drive yourself. But, uh, you know, you and Brock have this really good relationship. And he's only here for SummerSlam and WrestleMania. Hey, listen, it's two pay-per-views. Do a couple of TVs walking in. Do a couple of TVs walking into Mania. Do Mania right here in your hometown. And you guys are really good together. Well, how would you like to work with it? You know, and it, boy, it was, it was a very convincing pitch. Mm-hmm. So I took it. And, of course, you know, um, once they know they have access to you, uh, um, uh, the most PG way I can say this is a hard PP has no conscience. <laughs> so, you know, oh, we, get, we got Heyman? Put him on TV next week. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of four weeks into SummerSlam, I'm back on TV in May. <laughs> um, you know, we'll extend this thing, you know. And, 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 so, and now you're coming on to represent Brock when he's not even there. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And uh, and it worked. And, and I really the, the truth is, uh, you know, they kept me hidden all day as 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 they're prone to do. Right, because you came back as as with Punk, not with Brock. No, I came back with Brock. Okay, I, I came back. I, I came back actually without Brock. I right. came back when Brock. I came back to announce Brock had quit. Gotcha. So um, we're, we're in Greensboro, and and they they fly me in the Raleigh. Mm. So that nobody sees me in the airport. I mean, I was totally, nobody knew. I wasn't on Kevin Dunn. And when Kevin Dunn doesn't know, man, yeah. that's, and probably they didn't tell Kevin Dunn because he probably would have bitched about it. Don't bring that fucker back. Oh, fucking Heyman, you know, which is good. I say pee pee. be. Oh my God. I mean, nobody knew. Vince knew, Stephanie knew, Triple H knew, I knew, Brock knew. I always like that, though. A couple times I've done that kind of being hidden away. I mean, you came back at the Rumble, Rumble hidden away. It's always kind of, it's kind of fun, right? Like, you're like a secret, right? <laughs> so, well, I was, oh, and, and they told Punk an hour before the broadcast and sent him out to the bus to see me so that he could tweet it. That's right. It was a secret or whatever, yeah. yeah because yeah. he was the first one to hit a million followers, and they wanted in on that social media action. <laughs> so, uh, so they snuck me in, and then Punk tweeted it literally during the commercial break that they're sneaking me into Gorilla. Mm-hmm. So when I got into Gorilla, and literally they're playing the package of Brock breaking Triple H's arm, I just walk over to the curtain, and I'm just waiting to hear go. And I'm hearing, uh, you got to go say hi to Vince. And I'm thinking, oh, let me say hi to him after, after I do the promo. You know, just, <laughs> I hear, just uh, you know, oh, man, because who knows? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what his feeling is. You know, he's just, God, we'll just tolerate him for a couple days, yeah. you know. So, um, okay, so I start going to him, and he comes around the thing. He goes, give me a huggy. You know, I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> this one's going to hurt, you know, because when, when he hasn't seen you in a while. He squeezes you. He's so yeah. strong. Still strong as an ox. And, and I'm such a puss, you know? <laughs> and he just, Rah! you know? And, he's, and he squeezes me with my feet off the ground. He goes, God damn it, it's good to see you. You know, and I'm thinking, no, it's not. You know, you're not happy to see me, and you're hurting me. <laughs> you know? And I even said, I said, you're hurting me. <laughs> you know? I have to concentrate on my promo. <laughs> you know? And he, you know, puts me down, thank God. And he, you know, 
slaps me on the back, and man, that hurt too, you know. And I'm, I'm trying not and to. He sell knew it. it. Oh, it was very much on purpose, and thank yeah. God it wasn't Stephanie hitting me because <laughs> her slaps hurt Worst more. Worst slap in the business. Oh, so um, so I just went out and did my promo, you know, and I come back and he goes, "See you next week." I'm like, oh, God, this is going to become a weekly gig, <laughs> you know? I just thought I was announcing that he's quitting. We'd come back before SummerSlam. <laughs> what happened with Punk was we did SummerSlam, and uh, I wasn't supposed to come back until Brock came back four weeks before Mania. Mm-hmm. And I figured they'd tag me in probably in January just to start talking about him. But um, I was gone two days, and they called, and they said, uh, I want to put you with somebody else, too. And I wasn't interested. Mm. I was like, nah, you know what? I don't want to water this thing down. I don't want to overstay my welcome. I'm only here, you know, because you guys wanted Brock to have a mouthpiece. And we're really good together, and it's a really good chemistry. And I don't see anybody that I can work with. It's always the danger, too. If something works, and then it does get watered down. Like a TLC works, now there's a TLC pay-per-view. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it slowly loses its effect, or yeah. it can. Hell in the cell. Right. Yeah. right. It, it's, very, it's a very, very, very tough tightrope to walk. And, and I also didn't see anybody that I, I would have that kind of chemistry with and, or have a totally different chemistry with and can actually play a different character than I do with Brock. Mm-hmm. And uh, literally the name was whispered. They, you know, it was just like, what about CM Punk? Man, I'll see you in Chicago. You got it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I didn't even have to think about that answer. It was like, wow, because... Number one, we have a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Platonic, I assure you, <laughs> but, but it's a personal relationship. Number two, um, we had worked so well together in OVW uh, in, in putting together. Uh, well, you were one of the guys that was his first, uh, you know, you pushed for him and, and let the office know how good he was. Because right, well, at first he had a lot of heat for having his own opinion and having confidence like I had and like you had and like all of us did that ever made it there. Well, I was told to fire him. Wow. Oh, Why? Yeah. Because they didn't want him. I was told, finish him up. Because he didn't look right or didn't like his work? They didn't like him. Yeah. So, I mean, he was an OVW, and I used to get memos. Uh, By the way, you know, finish up Punk, and, uh, you know, he'll get his two-week notice once you finish him up. Was that memos from Triple H or Vince? Uh, No, it wasn't that Just the power, like, Laurinaitis or whoever. Yeah, yeah. That that office at that time. Yes. You know, um, and sometimes, you know, just from, you know, uh, office managers or secretaries. By the way, there was a meeting and this person wants you to give Punk his notice, finish him up, you know. And Jan, the makeup girl, sending you a memo. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like it was like how, how, how Austin got fired, you know, yeah. by Bischoff on an answering machine. Yeah. You know, when, you know was, and, and the first message was from Janie Engel to call in to get fired, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't fire him. I said, that's not my job. My job is to build talent, not to take talent down. You guys give him his notice first, and then I'll wrap him up on TV. And Mm -hmm. no, you do it. No, you do it. You know, (laughs) it was the most ridiculous, you know, game of not me, you. Oh, no, no, not me, you that I've ever played. But I mean, we, we, we really had a great working relationship. We had. Really great chemistry. I understood his character. Uh, I, I knew how to get stuff out of him. We just It was just one of those mm-hmm. things that clicked. So to having the chance to work with him. And here he was, the WWE champion at the time, uh, and, and trying to establish himself as a top guy and as, the, you know, and as a heel, too. Mm-hmm. I just figured, man, we could really play with each other and just you know, wing it half mm-hmm. the time, you know, which is what we ended up doing. So then I ended up uh, starting in Chicago, which was the week after... Brock left, you know, t- took his hiatus. I got I got put with Punk, and we you know we were off to the races with that too. Well, and it's interesting too because you got two guys that can talk in the mic. 
usually it, it is it's, the instance of Brock where it's like, well, we'll use Paul. Paul can get the message across, but you guys could both do it. So it makes for an interesting the, dynamic. It's the classic Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, ah, where they're both yes. amazing talkers and they've just made such a great duo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with Brock, I, I always consider, with Brock, I consider myself as my father. My father was a trial lawyer from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, and, and that, that's legitimate about my old man. My father, my father legitimately was a trial Richard lawyer. Richard Heyman. Richard Heyman. I remember yeah. all this. I remember your yeah. address. I remember your yeah, dad's yeah, name. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. B- b- you know, Tricky Dicky Dangerously. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, shyster from the Bronx. Yeah. And I used to watch my father when I was a kid. I used to watch him perform in front of a jury. So I always consider myself. When I'm with Brock, I'm his lawyer. I'm, and I, that's where I get the name, the, the advocate. Because mm. my father always said, you know, Your Honor, I'm, I'm only an advocate. I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm here to protect my client's interests. And, and that's, how, that's how I play it with Brock. With Punk, here's a musical reference for you. And, and nobody listening to this is probably old enough to remember this. He's Morris Day and I'm Jerome. <laughs> I I always thought they were the greatest duo. Oh we oh we oh, <laughs> you know. I, Girl, I, I got to know you. <laughs> I was the biggest fan of Jerome <laughs> yeah, because Morris Day on his own was pretty damn good. Yeah. But man, when he had Jerome backing him up and just shake it out, Morris Day shakes his head, Jerome shakes his head, you know? Everything, you know, and everything that Morris Day would do, Jerome would compliment. You know? So and and, and again, I, you guys can relate to it. Your audience is probably sitting there going, This guy is old. What are they talking who, about? Who the hell is Jerome? <laughs> Is it New Jack? Is that, New Jack was with Morris Day. Probably stabbed Morris Day. You know? I mean, but it was, um, I just, that's how I envisioned it. I was like, whatever Punk is going to do, mm-hmm. I'm just going to compliment what he did. I'm his backup. I'm, 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 I'm the garnish. I'm the garnish. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You know? It, 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 it was a different role. Mm-hmm. And I liked it because it was a different role. It was a totally different character than I played with Brock. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like when, when, I mean, you guys had a great relationship and, uh, you know, I'm talking about on the show and then, you know, it falls apart and then you guys kind of feed each other. How is it for you to get in the ring and actually, you know, you're taking bumps, you're getting hit with kendo sticks, you're climbing cages. I mean, is that part of the deal that you signed up for? No. (laughs) (laughs) I saw you climb that cage, man. It's like an elephant trying to climb it. So there's not a lot of grace there. Thank you. I've been try- been, try- been trying to lose weight. And I, I, I've been getting the you know you look like the penguin from Batman, but now I've now I've ascended now you've, to you've now, upgraded to elephant. Now I'm an elephant, you know. No man, really, you know, just to see a really fat blubbery guy like you get to. The, um, here's the funny thing about that Hell in a Cell match. I'm deathly afraid of heights. I know you are. Horrible. I know you are. Horrible. I I don't even like, you know how some guys go into the ring and like, you know, they'll climb the ropes to get the reaction. I don't even like climbing up to the first turnbuckle. I truly, and this is where I got a sense of it, TLC2 in Houston, you were calling it. You sounded legitimately afraid for us. (laughs) Yes. You you really did. Yes. You, You sounded like... I, I, they shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, because you know, you guys are up on those ladders, and you know, and and, and you're 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 all so fearless about it too, and stupid probably would <laughs> well, be. You know who else is afraid of heights? Regal. We had a cage match once, and he did not. He stood on the top rope, holding onto the cage, and I was like, "Climb!" He's like, "I don't want to climb. <laughs> oh. Just climb, so I can't climb." 
Devon. Really? Devon Dudley, deathly afraid of heights. He's hanging there by the belt loop going, oh, no, no, come, come on, Jay. Don't kick me so hard, Jay. Don't kick me so hard for that big bump that he took. Yeah. He was screaming the entire time. It was hilarious. I was on the ground going, oh, man, this is going to be ugly. So, so you're afraid of heights. I'm deathly afraid of heights. And I'm a fearless man. Mm-hmm. But, man, when it comes to heights, forget about it. I, and, I mean, I... I I can go on the observation deck of the Empire State Building, and I love the view, but please don't ask me to go towards the ledge. Yeah. I just can't do it. You know, I don't. I don't mind being way up there, but man, you know. In fact, if you watch the Hell in a Cell match, I'm hanging on to that cable that you know where the cell is lowered from and raised from. I'm hanging on to that thing for dear life. <laughs> I mean, even when I'm all, I'm just up there by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm just. I was so petrified, but. The flip side of that is, if I caught a beating inside the cell, it's not that memorable. Mm-hmm. But for Punk to climb up that cell with that stick and just wear me out on top of the cell, that's something memorable. That gives a baby face something that mm-hmm. he can brag about. The people go, man, he climbed up that cell and he whipped Heyman's ass. And the one thing that I wanted to do was, um, if I'm going to take a beating, let it be a beating. Let it be a legitimate beating, you know, because so then the next time it's advertised, hey, Heyman's going to get his ass whipped, people are going to pay to see it. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, again, this goes back to the Bruno era, you know, Babyface has to live up to his promises. And all that I did to Punk, I busted him open at Money in the Bank, I cost him his chance at the WWE Championship, I double-crossed him when I swore on my children I wasn't going to do it, you know, I... I, I, I I, I had to take a beating from him. And once he promised that he's going to deliver that beating to me, um, it, it, it couldn't be pretty. It couldn't be pretty. It couldn't be light. It couldn't be, couldn't be something that he was holding back on. He had to take that stick and, you know, do to me what Sandman used to do mm-hmm, to people. Mm-hmm. It just had to be butt ugly. Brutal. It's like Michael Hayes said, can't get half pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, gooseberry pie, you, gooseberry stew, gooseberry salad. Um, and it's interesting, too, Michael. Will yeah, understand. Michael understand. Yeah, Mike, Michael Hayes. You know, why don't See, you? Why don't you take? Why don't you jump off the tron and, and land on your feet? Well, well, you never even took a bump, Hayes. Quit telling me to jump like fifteen feet and almost die. Hayes would always come up with these ridiculous high spots that no one would ever do, and he wouldn't even hardly take bumps. So that's why it's like really love Hayes. But uh, standing on top of that, I'll have you know, in my early days, I took a lot of bumps. <laughs> yeah, just none of them in the ring. One <laughs> <laughs> up my nose. See, uh, I didn't go there. Well, see? I, but I did. And I, I got to see him on Mondays. <laughs> and I'm sure oh. he's going to listen to this podcast. He'll tell you. Man, He'll tell you about it. Burn me. Ain't, ain't no we're, one part. No. Ain't, we're putting him over in his I know, mind. I know. Ain't nobody party like the Freebirds did. When you're standing on top of that cell, I mean. <laughs> what just dude, happened there? This is a conversation. This is the, You're only going to get this on Talk is Jericho with the Edge, Hammond, and Jericho. The pot of thunder. The pot of thunder. And rock and roll. <laughs> when you're standing on top of that cell. I can't sing at all. Sorry. That's. Uh, did you ever have a hell in the cell? Yes. Standing on top of the cell is one of the scariest things because not only have you have to climb up there. And I remember on the ground looking up like that's not so bad. When you get up there looking down. It's I mean, awful. It's brutal. And that's why Horrible. Mick Foley is the craziest man I've ever met to take that bump he took. Because when you're standing up there, like you said, I don't even want to go near the edge. And I took a pedigree on top of the cage 
and you know I got hit with a barbell baseball bat and all that stuff. That's that's fine. But taking a backdrop and a pedigree because your your arms are hooked. And I'm looking at this cage. If it breaks, I'm going straight down to the mat. You're you screwed, know? dude. You're screwed, dude. Screwed, blued, and tattooed. Eh? Same with you. I mean, you're getting hit with the. I mean, you're walking on that cage, and it's like, man, that is that is the scariest match to be in as a Hell in a Cell. Yes. Well, and they upped the height of it too. It got taller. Wow. Yeah. Really. And uh, I remember Taker and I had ours, and I wanted to go up there, but we got the we're PG now yeah. right before our match, like three hours before, and I went, what? <laughs> now we're PG yeah. right before Hell in a Cell. Okay, and because uh, I wanted to take a tombstone on top of it. Oh wow! Yeah. Ugh. Ew, man. I'm just, <laughs> I, I, there's a reason I've had two neck surgeries. <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. All right, we're back with Edge and Paul Heyman. Paul, let me ask you this. You work closely with CM Punk, right? Did you have any idea that he was going to leave, that he was going to disappear, quit the company? Did he tell you about it? Did he reference it at all? Or did you know just from knowing Punk? I think on the day that it happened, it was very spontaneous. Mm -hmm. I think it it was a year in the building. Mm -hmm. And any day in that year had he decided to walk would not have surprised me mm-hmm. he was unhappy mm-hmm. he he had enough he couldn't take it anymore and it, it was it, it wasn't a slow build it was we were i mean a year before he walked these were daily conversations of I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to take this. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I don't know how much longer uh, I can take this. I don't know how much longer it's going to be till I just decide to go home. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm surprised it lasted that long. Surprised he was able to last that long before he left? I was surprised based on how volatile and how intense his desire was to walk mm-hmm. a year prior. Mm-hmm. And then not that it's, like, it's not like it subsided. I mean, every day with him was was a uh, was an exercise in him finding the balance to simply continue on and find the passion that he needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened was he walked in the day after the Royal Rumble, and he couldn't find that passion. He couldn't convince himself or persuade himself. Okay, whether I'm happy or not. This is about the performance. It's about my legacy. It's about I take pride in what I do. And whether I'm happy or unhappy, when I go out there, I want to be the best CM Punk that I possibly can be. And I think somewhere during that day, he couldn't find that. Mm -hmm. And he realized, I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't have the passion to do it. And he didn't want to be a shell of himself. He didn't want to just coast. He didn't want to just be... Um, collecting a paycheck. He couldn't find the passion to be the best that he could be. And uh, to him, that that was it. It was time to go home. Did you think it was going to last? Did you know that it would be 
I mean, as, as we speak right now, he hasn't come back. I mean, people were constantly saying, okay, he's going to come back this date. Now he's going to come back in Chicago. Now he's going to come back at, you know, at WrestleMania. And he never did. Did you think he was that convicted in his beliefs that he would not come back? I was always of the opinion that once he pulled that trigger, it would be a very long time before he would ever be ready to come back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, from personal experience, I can tell you that. I mean, when, when I pulled the trigger back in December 2006, I was thoroughly convinced in my head I was done. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, done, like finished. You know, wouldn't come back for a special appearance, wouldn't come back for, you know, one single, oh, come back for one thing on Raw and Wave, you know. Hey, want to do the Hall of Fame? I mean, nothing. I, 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 wanted, I wanted out. I wanted to say I walked and I, I never turned back around and, and ne never looked back and never came back, not even for one appearance, not for one smile, one frown, one insult, one compliment, nothing. Um, and, and it took me five and a half years to even consider mm -hmm. Okay, you know what? Maybe these are the right circumstances. Maybe this is the right guy. Maybe this is the right time. Maybe this is the right deal. Hey, take, you know what? Maybe it will work. Maybe I will be passionate about it. Maybe I will find a new way to approach this. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this. It took me five and a half years to find that inside me. And that makes sense because it's a job that is so all-consuming. I mean, to every aspect, emotional, uh, physical, just everything. Mm -hmm. To decompress from that. It can't happen in two weeks. If you ever really, truly want to try and recharge those batteries, I mean, it might be for good. It might be five and a half years. Who, who knows how long it is? Well, I went through it, too. I mean, I left in 05 for two and a half years, and I, I've, I wasn't up to snuff in my head. Ideas that usually pop in my head easily were not coming. I felt like I was being taken for granted by the company. I wasn't doing anything of any, any merit. I was just basically falling down the card. And before I left, actually, Vince had a meeting with me where I know they were going to try and cut my contract. And I said, before you guys even get into it, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Because my contract was up, and I know they are going to try and give me a reduction. And so even in the company's eyes, I was going down. I had to leave, and it took me two and a half years to come back. And, you know, I can see where Punk would, would get like that. I mean, and I know how he gets in his head when he when he he doesn't care he doesn't care what anyone thinks he doesn't care about anybody's opinion i remember we had a this is a, a, a we were working in like amarillo texas and abilene abilene and it was some uh it was the day uh in 2010 when canada and the u.s were having the gold medal hockey game and and adam and i were flipping out and we found a bus a production bus to watch the game and it was me and Punk versus Morrison and Edge. And we were like, listen, we've worked 100 times before. You know, it's 2,000 people out there. Let's just call it in the ring. Cool, fine, and dandy. We watched the game. Canada scored in overtime. Go Canada. Right as my ring music was playing. It's like, yes, they scored. They had the, <laughs> the, they had the good, good sense to score before we had to go. And I ran to the ring, and we had our match. And Punk starts. And he continues. And he continues. And he continues. <laughs> And it took me about five minutes to realize he's not going to tag me in. And he worked the whole match himself <laughs> as I stood on the apron side. And I was like, you son of a bitch. And I went on the floor. I grabbed popcorn. And some guy threw a can at the back of my head, which made me even madder. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Afterwards, I said, I want to see all four of us in the trainer's room. And I lit into him like, what? What, what are you doing? He's like, you're so unprofessional because you guys watch the hockey game. I'm like, dude, you're unprofessional for not tagging me in. People might have paid money to see me today, and you, you robbed that from them. And we got in a big argument, and I was thinking, like, 
the balls, like the audacity of this dude. Well, it was interesting because I said to him, listen, between the two of us, we've been doing this 40 years. Yeah. We can do it out there. And I yeah, get where you we don't need to explain ourselves to you. I remember well, you said that. And, and, and I said, I get where you're coming from because I've been there. But you're just barking up the wrong tree and you're going to see exactly where I am in a few years because you are me. And sure enough, he's tweeting the Stanley Cup finals from a pay-per-view. And I went, yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> now, what do you mean you are me? What do you mean by that? We have very similar mentalities. Gotcha. Yeah. Like when it comes, when enough's enough. Yeah. 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 And, and also to, to stand up when you do think something. Right. And, and to, to try and, you know, I want to be a leader here. And, and part of being a leader is standing up for yourself. And if you don't agree with something, then saying it and all of those things. Yeah. And I did the same thing, and sometimes I did bark up the wrong tree. And I was told, eh, that's not the way to do it. Mm, you, you know what? I think mm-hmm, you're right mm-hmm. in hindsight. But sometimes it took hindsight. Well, I mean, another thing is, too, is, like, I think when you were, um, I mean, you came into the company, long hair, you know, good-looking guy, and you were, there was a Debatable. target. Well, there was a target on your, on your head. For me, too, I came in the company, target on my back. Punk target on your back. Even for you, Paul, because you came in as the enemy because you were an ECW guy, target on your back. And you have to have some attitude behind you that comes across as arrogance. But to make it in the WWE, you have to have it. I said it on Steve Austin's DVD. You have to be a little bit of an asshole to really make it in, in the WWE, you know, and, and make it in wrestling. And when Punk did that, I was so mad at him. But deep down inside, I was like, you know, I... I I respect the fact that you stood up for your convictions. Yep. You're and, wrong, and I, and I but I, it. yeah, I got it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's why when he left, I was like, I don't think people are going to, you know, I don't think he's going to come back as quickly as people think no, he is. No, 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 no. I, I um, you know, Austin, well, Austin really hit it on the head. He calls it withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, I went home and he did, it took me about two, three years to go through that withdrawal, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and it's funny because I think punk is experiencing withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, and for a straight edge guy that has, yeah. has never had this a, is his addiction, any sort of withdrawal. Yeah. Th- this was his addiction. And I actually think in watching just how intense his dislike for it all was becoming, I actually think he was going through the withdrawal while he was still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, without a doubt. And. and Mine was due to injury, but I haven't watched since I retired. Really? I'll, I'll catch something here and there, but I just, I'm in my withdrawal still, and it's three years later. Hmm. Does it just, hurt to watch? I think there's part of that. I, th- I think it's like, wow, I can't do that. And if I can't do that, that's what I enjoyed most about it. I hated the travel. I didn't like most of the people that I worked with. And, uh, you know, okay, so and then. By the way, I'm sorry. <laughs> so there was a few there was a few but it, it the enjoyable part was performing well i can't do that and i don't want to be one of those guys that watches and go ah if they had done that there and oh i don't want to be that guy so i just needed to step away and and really step into a different you know part of life and especially now being a father it's like I ain't going to sweat two guys jumping around in tights, you know? It's like the Martin Scorsese commercial for American Express where he goes in uh, with, with, the, with the film and, and, and yeah. they didn't develop it right. He, Hello, Timmy, Uncle Marty, how'd you like to have your 12th birthday again? It's like you watch it from a director's standpoint, you know? Yeah. Oh, wait, they should have shot this camera this way. And, oh, if he delivered that line this way, he'd have so much more. I can understand that. Well, and, and it really is. Like you can't go back to watching as just a pure fan. You can't go back to that, that, oh, my God, Hogan just slammed him. Mm-hmm. 
that's gone. It's like you know Santa is not real now. Mm-hmm. So it's tough when you're pulled back out of the industry to try and get that back. It doesn't come back. I know for me, like this year, I, I don't watch a lot, but I always follow along what's going on and will watch things that are interesting to me, like you said. Uh, but this year, like I had had some talks about maybe doing something at WrestleMania and nothing really, it just didn't, it just didn't work out, like no issues or problems. So watching WrestleMania was hard for me this year because it's like, like I wanted to be there. But the other side of the coin is if I just would have been like in the Battle Royal, I would have been so pissed off and furious anyways. It's like if there wasn't a place for me, I didn't want to do it. But watching it, it was a little bit like, oh, like this is this is WrestleMania, man. This, I should be there. And I think that's part of it. And I think that's probably why. It's just easier not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and especially because I can't. Yeah, it does kind of hurt. Right, exactly. Paul, let me ask you this. Do you ever miss ECW? No. And why is that? Because it was a product of its time. And, and I, I don't um, – do you have a good time on your prom night in high school? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I'm sure both of you probably got laid. <laughs> I did, just, actually. <laughs> I, I, just, I picked the wrong date. <laughs> <laughs> I just – Did you? you know, did you get laid on your prom? I plead the fist. <laughs> <laughs> His face got red. He totally did, man. He totally did. Whoever, whoever you are that went to Edge with prom, thanks for putting out. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had a great time my prom night mm-hmm. and at the time one of the best evenings of my of my life and I'm happy that it happened and I'm happy that I went and I'm happy that I scored and <laughs> I uh, I don't want to relive that night because I did it and that was it so we're not going to see you at a prom anytime soon <laughs> um, <laughs> hang around uh, the parking lot oh, oh, <laughs> only if I'm double dating with Jerry Lawler so <laughs> yeah boy <laughs> so um, I gotta see him Mondays too um, he won't listen to this trust me <laughs> we were talking so, about Batman, maybe. So, I just I never look back. Like I never watch old footage. Mm-hmm. Really, ever, ever, really, ever. My kids do, mm-hmm. and they'll come to me and say, "What's the story behind this?" And I, I end up having to tell them the story. But no, I I never I never look back. I just I can't live my life that mm-hmm. way. I, yep. I, I I there's so much more that I want to do, mm-hmm. and I I don't want to be held back by just spending any time reminiscing Mm -hmm. you know um ecw was great it was seven and a half years uh and i i can sit there and make the case that was the greatest time of my life i can make the case that this is the greatest time of my life if i sit here and reminisce about the time i had at studio 54 and you talk about decadence and debauchery (laughs) and caligula my god i mean you know it was did you actually go to studio 54 i worked at studio did you really oh yeah i was not kidding me no just took a new direction oh yeah see this is why we don't have questions oh no 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 you worked at studio 54 yeah i was 19 years in, in march 1985 wow i was doing college radio in New York, and I was editing three wrestling magazines that were on the newsstand, and I was traveling all over the country and going to Montreal, you know, the Frank Valois promotion that Pat Patterson had an interest in, and um, I uh, I was going to Georgia, to the uh, to the Omni events, I was going to, uh, to Florida, to those events, I was going to some Jim Crockett shows, I used to sneak in, and Dusty just told this story. I used to sneak in to the uh, to the production meetings that Jim Crockett Promotions would have, so I could learn how Dusty put together television shows. 
Um, I used I was doing play by play because remember 1985 you know was was a rapid expansion of cable and we, and we were going into the, uh, into the first WrestleMania mm-hmm. so um, rapid the, expansion of wrestling too right yeah. oh huge so there were you know forget about the 34 territories there were about 25 to 30 local independent promotions in the Northeast all having local cable television shows. There was like you know the the Samoans had their own uh, had their own uh, uh, Trans World Wrestling Federation. They had TV in New Haven up through Hartford. There was the Can Am Wrestling Federation, which was owned by a guy named A. W. Constantini and Tom something or another. And Tom's probably listening. And I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, but I don't remember your name. And uh, but Tom, Tom, my man, Tom, 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 Tom boy, yo, Tom. Tom. And here's Tom. a shout out to you, Tom. You know who you are. Um, so, uh, and and they had actually. Cable access and, and cable television from Portchester, New York, up through New Haven. There was Bob Raskin, who was using uh, Sergeant Slaughter a lot, and he he had a lot of New Jersey and into Pennsylvania. That was booked by DC Drake mm, and, 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 and uh, DC Drake and Damian Kane. Uh, they were always in a magazine called Wrestling Eye. Wrestling Eye. Carmine oh, Despierto. Wow. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Remember that who one? Actually, yeah, it was dude. run by Mike Bello, who, who passed away. And then Carmine Despierto uh, from New Jersey took it over. I think he might have passed away, too. Carmine? I think so. No, I think he's still no? living okay. in, in Milwaukee. Sorry, Carmine. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're having a great life. We not, love you. Not, not that we miss you, anyway. Um, but are uh, Carmine. Um, car- let's, shout out to Carmine. Here's the Carmine. Carmine, Tom, um, Chad from Hilton. So. Saying hi to everybody. Um, so uh, I was doing play-by-play uh, on horrible edit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but because I, I I was getting them exposure in all these newsstand wrestling magazines, and I could also uh, do a lot of their souvenir programs. I ended up doing a lot of their play-by-play, and I was learning how to write television at the same time as well. So I'm doing like ten different jobs. I'm a photographer. I'm an editor. I'm a publisher. So you're learning a little bit about everything about the business. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sneaking in production meetings with mm-hmm. Dusty. Um, uh, I'm doing college radio. And there was a big charity event at Studio 54. And um, I, I brought Pro Wrestling USA was a combination of Jim Crockett and Vern Gagne. It was originally Crockett, Gagne, and Jerry Jarrett. But Jerry Jarrett said, I ain't doing none of this. Y'all going to take too much of my money. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so Jarrett got out, and, uh, and it was Crockett. Um, and Vern and they and they ran a bunch of shows and they ran an extended tour of the Northeast all these um, shows in New Jersey and uh, in Staten Island New York they couldn't get into Manhattan yet so um, Jimmy Garvin was a good friend of mine when I was a kid and I said listen why don't we go to this charity event at Studio 54 I'll take all these pictures of you at the world's most famous nightclub and we went there and I, and I was 19 years old at the time and uh, the house photographer for Studio 54 who was a protege of Ron Galella who was the uh, famous paparazzo who used to stalk Jackie Onassis and she had restraining orders on him and everything <laughs> else and this guy was smashed he was drunk out of his mind and he started throwing vodka bottles at the bartenders and they fired him on the spot and they threw him out the back door and um, I was talking to the general manager of Studio 54 and uh, I said hey um, wasn't that your house photographer he says yeah, yes it was I said um, <clears throat> you know I could do that job 
He goes, you can? Oh, yeah, of course I can. Yeah, I've been house photographer at a lot of different nightclubs here in New York. You know, you have? Oh, yeah, I don't want to run down names, give you my resume. But listen, if you want me, I can do it. And what would and, a house photographer do? Just take pictures of people in the club? Yeah, and, that's it. Yeah, Celebrities. For the and, newsletter, whatever it was back what, then. You know, yeah. co- coordinate with the management if they needed publicity photos sent out. Gotcha. You're the house photographer. Whatever the house needs, mm-hmm. you photograph. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, 19 years old, and, you know, I, 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 can, I can run this joint because it was pretty wild back then, and, you know, and, and everybody was so high and messed up and, you know, and, and drunk and a lot further than drunk that I was like, man, I could, I'm the only sober guy in this joint. I, I, can, I can get do whatever I want to do, you know? And it was still a very popular nightclub back then, so I got hired that night to be the house photographer. And... um a couple of weeks later, and I'll say this now because the statute of limitations has run out for him, and uh, and plus it's a true story. And he was so high in the eighties, he probably doesn't remember it. Those who tell you they remember being at Studio Fifty Four <laughs> weren't there, weren't really there. So, um, Boy George shows up, okay, with his uh, boyfriend Marilyn, who oh, who was this, another kind of a British singer, um, yeah. yeah, and who ended up they they, they ended up finding out that he. Uh, was in a great relationship, I think, and I'll, I'll get sued for this one. Oh, you will. It's your podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll take I, it. He was in a relationship years later with Gavin Rossdale, I believe. Wow. Um, wow. Now, whether Gavin... The under- cat who's married to... Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani. So he's he's bisexual. Uh, he just d- a girl. He, he, <laughs> get it? He, he's just no a beard. Yeah. He <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't just like Bush. So, <laughs> <laughs> so many bad puns. <laughs> no. Um, so George shows up with Marilyn, and um, they go up to the VIP room, and George is supposed to do an impromptu concert, which, of course, has been leaked to all the music press. So all the music press from New York is, is there at studio to see George do this impromptu concert. And I had, you know, you, who do you make friends with when, you, when you're going to work at a nightclub? You make friends with all the security. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's how you get in and get That's out. your ticket, yeah. That's your ticket. And if you want to, you know, you see you know, a really hot girl in line with her boyfriend, and you say, hey, sh- let her in, leave him out, you know? <laughs> I mean, hey, you got to work the gimmick, you know? <laughs> so I made friends with all the security, and one of the security guards comes and grabs me because I'm really the only one, you know, who had his eye on the ball back then because everybody else is too busy partying. Right. Um, and he says, hey, man, uh, which was my name. And he says, uh, <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Broom. Thank you, ladies yeah. and germs. I'm here through Thursday. Please try the veal. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long day. <laughs> and he says, uh, hey, um, George is upstairs in the VIP room, and um, he's on the floor frothing at the mouth. I don't think this is a good thing. So I come upstairs, and uh, George had taken way too much of what later became in vogue here in the United States and was a real underground London thing back then, was a primitive form of ecstasy. Mm -hmm. And uh, George was really in bad shape. And there were a lot of different people that were frequent guests at Studio 54 that I had already come to know and one of them was a doctor and he ran out to his car and he got his, you know he got his medical bag like like Burt Lancaster and Field of Dreams you know <laughs> I'll take care of this you know I'm envisioning Jack Elam and Cannibal Run <laughs> I'm the doctor around here the crazy eyed guy where is oh, he I gotta give her a shot <laughs> you know <laughs> JJ <laughs> hey you thought Morris Day and Jerome was, a, was an obscure call how about Jack Elam oh Anybody knows Jack Elam on this show. <laughs> so, uh, 
<laughs> so he gives George a couple of shots of B12, and we send out a, this security guy across the street. I, I, I nicknamed this guy Guido Foch because because uh, he used to just stand there at the back door and comb his hair all night long, and uh, you know, and he was like, "Hey, hey Guido," you know, and his name wasn't Guido. Is that in fact it wasn't even Italian? But you know, "Hey Guido, how you doing?" He goes, "Hey, yo, how you doing?" You know what I'm saying? "Hey, yo, I got me my new Camaro," you know, and I leave the t-tops off, but the windows up so it don't mess up my hair. You know, I mean, you know. If, if they ever find out the situation's illegitimate father was Guido Foch, it all makes sense to me now. So um, so Guido runs across the street, and he gets a bunch of coffee, and we pour it down George's throat, and we just know we've got to sneak him out of there without the media seeing him. So we black out the nightclub, and we, we, we hit the fog machines way too strong, and literally we prop up George on stage, and we hit a, a live track of him at this London nightclub that he had done, and he lip syncs one song, and we sneak him out the back door, and we get George and Marilyn by the back door uh, with sunglasses, and the back door at studio had the very same type of glass door with the Studio 54 logo on it that the front door had. So we prop George up, and we take pictures of him and Marilyn, uh, by the back door and we got him into a limo and got him the hell out of there mm-hmm. and I went back to my first apartment in New York City was on the Upper West Side and I had a photo lab there I developed the pictures and I had taken it from enough different angles that it looks like three different photographers had taken the pictures mm-hmm. took it from the right took it from the center took it from the left so I took one picture down to the Daily News one picture down to the New York Post one picture down to, to Newsday or, or the Village Voice I don't really remember which one it was and um and they all ended up publishing it on different days, saying, "Hey, boy, George walks into Studio Fifty Four, and what a great concert it was!" And everybody was real, was real happy with it. And you know, and, oh, we heard this crazy story about they hit the fog machine too high, yeah, yeah. and blah 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 blah. But we got great publicity out of it. So um, at the time, Studio was paying way too much money for outside public relations, and they had moved their public relations just then in house. And their PR guy was terrible. They hated the guy. Mm-hmm. And they said, how did you get this in the newspapers? How, how did you get this item on the page six? How did you get this item into the gossip column on the Daily News? This was really good of you. And I said, well, I just brought it down. And I said, they could use it. Just no photo credit. And I didn't want to, get, want to get paid for it. And of course, I was hoping that they would come to me with something like this. So they said, well, would you like to do in-house publicity? And I said, yes, if I could have an office. <laughs> and the office at Studio 54 was almost like the Carlitos Way office, you know? <laughs> it's like you could look down at the nightclub and it was just badass. It was like, man, you can get laid in these offices, you know? If you, and if you can't get laid in these offices, yeah. you're doing something really, really, really wrong. Yeah. You know? And I was tired of taking girls down to the basement, too. <laughs> so because everybody knew who was going, you know, they had a guy at the door at the basement, so he knew all your business. If yeah. you have your own office... You gotta have a little bit of privacy there. So, um, so the next thing I know, I'm the in-house publicist at Studio 54 as wow. well. I don't think anybody's ever heard that story before, man. That's a talk is Jericho exclusive right here on the 50th episode. I did not know that, but that's where we're gonna pick things up on Friday because we gotta know how you went from Studio 54 to promoting and hosting wrestling events. And of course, we haven't even started talking about ECW yet. So, Paul Heyman and my super special co-host, Edge, will return with me on Friday for part two of this incredible conversation. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. 
You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. Thanks to Edge and Paul Heyman for joining me. Look forward to part two on Friday. And thanks for all of you for listening. And thanks for all of you for using my Amazon link every time you do your online shopping. It's really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. Then click on Talk is Jericho. And you'll see all three of my Amazon links. Amazon Canada, Amazon UK, and everybody's going Amazon. Amazon USA. <laughs> I could just hear Edge right now. Brutal. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done. You're helping me out in the process. Listen, have you pre-ordered? Do you want to start a war yet? Fozzie's new record, July 22nd, it comes out. If you haven't pre-ordered it, Go to the Talk is Jericho banner and go to Amazon and pre-order the record now. If you haven't heard any of the tunes, this one's called One Crazed Anarchist from Do You Want to Start a War? Available in July 22nd. Crank it up. Let's check it out now.
Anarchist What crazy 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 anarchist Alright, what'd you think, people? Hit me up at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. Let me know what you think of the new Fozzie. You can also go to at Fozzie Rock or at I am Jericho. Also hit me up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho and let me know what your favorite episode of the first 50 of Talk is Jericho were and are. Thank you so much for joining me. We're just getting started. This is the beginning of a revolution, guys. You're a part of it. I'm a part of it. We're all in this together. And I thank you for schwazing my podcast when there's so many other podcasts you can schwaz from. We'll be back on Friday with more Edge and Paul Heyman. And I'll be back week in and week out after and after and after and after that as long as you stick with me and tell your friends about us. So stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. See you Friday for part two of my conversation with Edge and Paul Heyman. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Talk is Jericho. Happy 50th anniversary, yeah boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 